Beyond the Page podcast, where we go beyond the Oregon State campus and into our communities to talk about the best thing in life, art. This podcast is hosted by the PRISM staff, OSU's art and literary journal for students, by students. I'm your host, Tosca Rotolo. At the time of recording this podcast that you're about to listen to, it was late October, but today is November 16th. Do you know what that means? It means that this Friday is the PRISM submission deadline, November 19th, the submission deadline. If you haven't submitted your art yet, what are you doing? Why haven't you submitted it yet? We would love to see your work. If you feel inspired by any of the things that we talk about today in this podcast, make some art, submit it. We'd love to see it. And you get a chance at being published in the next edition of PRISM. Remember, this Friday, November 19th, please submit your work. We'd love to see it. Don't be shy. What are you waiting for? Go to our PRISM website. Go to the submission tab. It is so easy to fill out the form. Come to us with any questions. We would be happy to answer it. And please get your art out there. And I, for one, can't wait to see it. Thank you. It's late October. And if you are anything like me, all you want to do is hang out and watch the grossest, nastiest, campiest horror movies you can find. I'm talking gross. If it's got guts, gore, and glamour, you had better believe that I'm going to watch it. Now, I'm not the first person to make this observation. Believe me, there are about a million YouTubers that talk about this, probably way better than I will. But let's talk about the fact that horror movies have a very strange relationship with women and AFAB folks. Now, if you don't know, I'm going to be using the acronym AFAB, which stands for Assigned Female at Birth. Now, in horror movies, there's unnecessary nudity, abusive relationships, fetishization. It is all there, especially once you start going down that really weird and kind of nasty rabbit hole of more obscure and disturbing horror movies. You kind of start thinking to yourself, hmm, I think some of these creators might have a little bit of a problem with women. Of course, many horror movies tackle truly terrible topics with creativity and respect towards AFAB folks, but can we criticize the poor representations while also enjoying the movies themselves? And how can we decide which films hold up to today's standards? Well, let's talk about it. I'd like to start off by saying that this is all my own opinion and all just collected from experiences I've had myself with these films. So if you disagree with me, that is totally okay. I'm wrong a lot of the time, so I will not be offended if you think I'm incorrect. I'd also like to issue a little bit of a spoiler warning. I'll be talking about some of the details of these horror movies. Most of these are older horror movies, so there's probably also a lot of spoilers already out there. If you haven't seen them, I would definitely check them out. I'll be talking about the titles of the movies before I talk about any of the spoilers, so if you haven't seen them, go ahead and skip it. I won't be offended. And I'd also like to issue a trigger warning. I'll be talking a little bit about some horror elements like gore, killing, and a little bit later we'll be talking a little bit about sexual assault. I'll issue another trigger warning before that, but I just wanted to put that out there. If any of these subjects may be triggering to you, I would suggest clicking off and maybe just listening to a different one of our podcasts. Again, I won't be bothered. I want you to take care of yourself before you listen to me. All right, let's get started. So I love horror movies. I'd like to put that out here first. Even though I'm going to be criticizing them, I love them. They're probably my favorite genre of movie. Particularly psychological horror is really my thing. Um, 
I'm going to be talking about the movies a little bit later, but my two favorite horror movies right now are Reanimator and From Beyond. But that's enough about me. Let's get into some of the elements and tropes in horror movies that are a little bit problematic when you're talking about women and AFAB people. So first, I'd like to talk about the final girl concept. This is something that a lot of people have already talked about in depth, so I'm not going to go too deep into the actual logistics of what the final girl concept is. But basically, if you're looking at a movie that is traditionally like a slasher movie, like I Know What You Did Last Summer, or Friday the 13th, or Halloween, or Scream, usually there's a set characters, there's a set group of characters, and often there'll be one or more girls that are sexually promiscuous, they make sexual jokes, they're nude in a lot of or part of the movie, whether that's full frontal nudity or just topless. And sometimes they do actually have sex in the movie, like in a movie like Friday the 13th, there are multiple women that taking their clothes off, playing strip poker, and there is one girl that has sex with her boyfriend during the movie. Of course, this is all fine. People are allowed to be sexual. They're allowed to have sexualities. But in horror movies, a lot of time the trope is the girls and women that are sexually explicit or are seen having sex in the movies are often the ones that get killed first. And the final girl is the girl in the movie who is the virgin. She's often very pretty, but not necessarily super sexual or sexually attractive. She wears baggier clothes or more humble clothes. She doesn't really participate in the sexual games or the sexual jokes. So if they're playing like strip poker or they're playing spin the bottle, she's the one that's like, no, I don't know, guys. I don't want to do this. Ha ha. Uh, she's definitely just the insert of that like virginal trope. And often it is explicit that she is a virgin. She either has never had a boyfriend or a partner or she has a partner in the movie, but she's telling them that she doesn't want to have sex yet or maybe people are teasing her because she's never had sex. It's just often made apparent either consciously or subconsciously to the watcher that she is a virgin or she's virginal. She's clean, she's not interested in men, she is the good girl. And she is always the one that survives in the end while the other women in the movie who have been sexually explicit are killed. So that's the final girl concept, and the final girl is always the one that's left over, and so there are some movies that have subverted this trope. A good example is the movie Scream. Uh, Sydney Prescott, who's the protagonist and is the final girl in the movie, is tormented and in ways abused by her boyfriend throughout the movie for being quote-unquote frigid. Um, it says in the beginning that he, they were hot and heavy back early in the days of their relationship, and now she doesn't want to have sex or she doesn't want to fool around. And it's made clear multiple times in the movie that that is what he wants, even though he tells her, oh, I don't mind. I was just messing around. You can tell both in his tone of voice and in the facial expressions he's making that he's very upset that she won't have sex with him. And this is a very big conflict in Sydney's life, even though she's worried about a killer and about the anniversary of her mother's death. Her boyfriend is still pressuring her into having sex with him. And you kind of think going through this movie, oh, it's a slasher movie. She is the virgin. She's the final girl. She's going to live and she's not going to have sex. But the movie does subvert your expectations by her choosing to lose her virginity with her boyfriend at close to the climax of the movie. Um, and this kind of throws it 
you know, throws you for a loop because you're expecting her to stay quote unquote clean and virginal throughout the entire movie. But by the end, she's not a virgin anymore, but she does still live and she does end up being the final girl. So that was an interesting subversion of your expectations. Another one is kind of like almost there, not a complete subversion of the trope, but still kind of interesting to think about. In the original Friday the 13th movie, the character Alice, who is kind of the final girl, spoiler alert, she does live until literally the very last second of the movie. She is kind of the final girl by trope. She isn't having sex in the movie. You don't ever see her have sex. She isn't nude at any point in the movie. There is a point where they play strip poker, but she stays clothed for the most part. And she does have that kind of clean tomboyish look. But earlier in the movie, you can see that she is having some kind of relationship with the camp counselor or the camp leader. And it's never made clear what's going on. You don't know if they're dating or if they've had sex or if they're just kind of flirting with each other. But that is kind of a wrench because you would think that she's like the good girl that doesn't flirt with the older man that's running the camp. But that is happening. So that is another subversion. But in a lot of other movies, especially older horror movies, the final girl is not participating in any kind of sexual activity. In fact, she's completely against it. And there are a lot of movies that poke fun at this trope. It's become pretty laughable, honestly, at this point. Uh, a movie like Cabin in the Woods, which I totally recommend, very good, very funny horror movie, makes fun of it where Sigourney Weaver's character is saying, oh, we needed a virgin, and the girl is like, virgin? Very funny. I thought that was funny because it's obviously like, well, she survived. She's totally capable of surviving, but just because she's not a virgin... Did that mean anything? If you have sex, does it mean that you can't run away from a horror character? I guess so. Very interesting thing to think about. That's not something you see in a lot of like traditional horror movies, or excuse me, modern horror movies. Um, but it is always interesting to keep an eye out. Also, even in movies like Scream or like Friday the 13th, even if the character isn't technically a virgin, she is different from the other characters in the movie. Like, compare Sidney Prescott's character to her friend, who is very sexually explicit. She wears a short skirt. She wears a tight sweater. She's, you know, making jokes. She's making out with her boyfriend. She's kind of throwing herself in his lap. Like, just because Sidney might not technically be a virgin by the end of the movie doesn't mean that she's not different from the other female characters, which is always interesting to take a look at. Okay. The next trope we're going to talk about that involves women and AFAB people in horror movies is the killing for love trope. This is one I really like, though it might be kind of problematic. Women like the character Julia in Hellraiser or Tiffany in The Bride of Chucky appear to have autonomy because they are choosing to kill and to harm others in the movie. But really, their actions do kind of revolve around pleasing a man or gaining sex appeal or helping a man with his evil deeds. Like Julia in Hellraiser, she isn't killing people because she has a random urge to kill, which is, you know, I don't know if that's any better. But she is killing because she wants to bring her old lover back. Um, it's him that's asking her to kill. And even though she is literally making the choice to She's not making that autonomously. She's making it because she wants to bring this man back and she wants to please him. And she wants them to have a life together. Um, 
if her old lover hadn't come back, I don't think she would have been a killer. I guess I can't really make that distinction. But it is interesting to think about. Same with Tiffany. Um, Tiffany is a little different from Bride of Chucky because she is already a um, killer, question mark. You don't really see her killing before Chucky comes into the movie, but she is definitely very dark. Her, uh, I don't know if it was her boyfriend, but the guy that's trying to sleep with her in the beginning brings her a fake picture of somebody that he quote-unquote murdered. It's really just him with makeup on, but... To impress her. So she is definitely dark. She probably would kill even without Chucky. But throughout the rest of the story, she is really just killing because she's trying to save her and Chucky to be together. Um, she kills in the beginning to bring him back. That kind of thing. She really is an interesting character. But in the end of the day, it is kind of sad that she kind of goes in a certain path just to please or be with her partner. She's okay. We can be happy for her. We can be happy for Julia and Tiffany. They can be girl bosses. But at the same time, I don't know. Kind of seems like they were just trying to please a man. What do you think about that? I don't know how I feel about it. I still like the movies, and that's okay. All right. Next, we're going to kind of shift into a little bit more of a serious topic. I'd like to bring up another trigger warning going to talk a little bit about how sexual assault is used as a plot line in a lot of horror movies. If this is a triggering topic for you, please feel free to skip ahead or to click off. I totally understand that this might be hard to talk about. It is very difficult to talk about, but it is an aspect of a lot of old and honestly new horror movies. So totally understand if you want to click off. Just wanted to give you that trigger warning again. Okay. So in a lot of old horror movies, and sometimes in modern horror movies, sexual assault is used as a serious plotline. For example, actress Barbara Crampton plays a woman in both the Reanimator movie and in the movie From Beyond who is assaulted, and it is really just there so she can be saved by the protagonist. In the film Reanimator, it is her assault is a very famous scene, and it's played for laughs. And although it is a very bizarre and seemingly out of the blue scene, it is still a sexual assault scene. And it is still there so her boyfriend and Jeffrey Combs' character can jump in and save her. And it is pretty disturbing to think that a lot of people watched that scene and just saw it as humorous. And obviously I can step out of this bubble and say, yeah, it, I can see it being played as a funny scene. It is bizarre and funny in certain ways. I'm not going to describe it, obviously, but if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But it is still, in the end of the day, a sexual assault scene, and I couldn't watch it without thinking, oh my god, that's terrible. I can't even imagine experiencing something like that, being touched without consent and all the other things that happen in that scene. So it is frustrating to see people talk about that scene in the movie and talk about how it's humorous. Uh, there are some YouTubers that I'm not going to name that have talked about that movie and said, oh, well, it's good because they don't go too far. Like, it's funny. If they had gone further, it would have been too far. It's like when I go back and rewatch that movie, it's like, how is this not too far? This is assault. So her character in both the movie Reanimator and From Beyond is they they 
have their own character. She has her own autonomy. She is the girlfriend in one movie and the scientist in the other. But her character is assaulted simply so the men can come and save her, which is a trope that sadly repeats in a lot of old horror movies who in the beginning of the movie are sexually assaulted and then spend the rest of the movie hunting down and killing their attackers. An example, a very famous example of this movie is the film I Spit on Your Grave and its sequels and remakes. Um, At first, when you're thinking about this, it might seem empowering, but the frustrating thing about this genre of movie is a lot of times the filmmakers will choose to fetishize the assault itself turning it into a kind of spectacle, and then making the assault the only important part of the woman's character. Like, we don't know anything about the character pretty much outside of the fact that she was assaulted and now she's going for revenge. And I think the best revenge films really go into who the character is and their motives, not just, I was wronged and I'm going to kill you connect more to the characters and who they are as a person rather than just, oh, this is a person who was wronged and now they're going to kill. That's not as impactful as if you know who the person is and their motivations beyond just how they were wronged. And a lot of times these revenge films surrounding bisexual assault, you don't know much about the fact that like she was a woman and it was taken away from her. She's not a woman anymore. Or, you know, she hates herself now and now she's going to kill. It's, it's frustrating, and it also kind of dehumanizes the woman, and all she is is just somebody who is victimized. And a lot of people who experience sexual assault don't see themselves like that. They see themselves as a person who experienced something terrible, but a person nonetheless. And a lot of times these movies, it's just like, nope, this is a victim, and this is what she's doing. So that is the frustrating thing. Um, a movie that touches kind of on this trope, in a more nuanced and respectful way, and a movie that I would definitely recommend is Satoshi Kon's movie Perfect Blue. There is a scene that involves this kind of trope, but it takes more of a nuanced idea and discussion about it. Um, I, obviously, this is a really good movie, wanna recommend it, don't wanna spoil it at all, but I would definitely check it out if you're looking for a horror movie that surrounds women and femme folks, but with a more nuanced and respectful take. I really like it. I hope you like it too. All right. So the last thing we're going to talk about with these old horror movies is the fact that a lot of these movies paint gay and trans people as evil. So a lot of films where women and AFAB folks are represented as gay and or trans, it's rarely executed with respect or kindness. There are some really famous examples that a lot of people have already talked about. A big one is the movie Sleepaway Camp. Big spoiler for this one if you haven't seen it. I really like this movie. Would definitely recommend it. But, spoilers. Um, by the end of the movie, you know that the main character is a trans woman. And a lot of people have taken this in different ways. Because at the time when the movie was made, it was like, ah, trans people are scary. What is this? I don't know what a trans person is. I've never met a person that's like this. Ah, creepy, gross, scary is kind of the way that the movie is taking it. But now, and a lot of trans folks have talked about this, the movie kind of has a different way of like how society not only sees young women, but also sees young trans women and experiencing transness at a young age. 
But in the end of the day, the filmmakers weren't trying to make like an interesting commentary on, you know, trans youth. It was a way to shock audiences who were transphobic and didn't know trans people and didn't know they existed. So it's like, ah, look at this person. This is so scary. When it's like nowadays we watch it and it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm trans or, you know, if you're speaking from a trans perspective, this is my thoughts on this. But the filmmakers at the time weren't trying to do that at all. So, of course, it instead spins it of being like, oh, this person, because she's trans, she's crazy and evil. Which, of course, isn't true. But for the film, that's the route they choose to take it, which is obviously very problematic. There's also the movie Martyrs, which is a extremely disturbing horror movie that a lot of people really love. And there's been a lot of commentary about whether or not it is a lesbian love story. Um, the two female characters show a lot of love and intimacy towards each other. They share a kiss and you're not really sure if it's supposed to come from like a fetishization angle of like, Oh, look at women kissing or if it's true and they were in love with each other or if it's kind of that, like they are love each other like sisters and they got caught up in the moment and had a kiss. So there is that perspective as well where it's like, Kind of hard to tell whether or not the directors were going for like a, oh, okay, we're going to tell this horror movie with lesbians at the center of it. Or if it's just like, oh, we're just going to have women kissing because that'll shock the audience or it'll, you know, titillate the audience in a way. Um, but there also has been a lot of commentary on the fact that even if it is like a lesbian love story, it at the same time just kind of showcases the murder and torture of said lesbians, which isn't good representation, at least not in my mind. Um, there's been a lot of talk about how a lot of queer stories revolve around death or revolve around murder or revolve around disease and illness. And if the movie Martyrs is supposed to be a lesbian love story, this is kind of just another example of it. We don't see a lot of films with queer joy and pure queer love. A lot of it has to be tainted with this, like, anger, sadness, murder, death. Ugh, ah. So if you want to take this movie as that kind of a perspective, you could totally say, yeah, this is about lesbians. These are about women that love each other and are in this horrible situation together. But you also have to take that kind of with a grain of salt of being like, okay, cool representation of lesbians, but what is happening? What are, how are we watching these women suffer and why? So yeah, but on the other hand, there are a lot of horror movies that have queer characters and queer representation that have been loved, beloved by the queer community. Movies like Jennifer's Body, The Lost Boys, and Raw have garnered love and attention from the queer community for their sometimes unintentional representation of LGBTQ plus folks in horror. A movie like Jennifer's Body, ironically enough, was marketed to be kind of like a hot girl frat guy kind of movie where it's like, oh, people want to come see this because Megan Fox is hot. But instead, it kind of shifted and it ended up being a movie loved by the queer community and represents like in a way lesbian love so it's really interesting to see how that kind of pans out so it is a horror movie and it does have murder and death in it but it all kind of depends on how the community takes it and there are a lot of horror movies that even if it wasn't unintentionally made to showcase queer love it still does and has that effect on people which is really cool 
So at the end of the day, I don't really think there's a good answer to what is like right and wrong in horror. There's more than one truth. You can love a horror movie while remaining fully aware of its problematic, sexist, or even homophobic tendencies. Some of my personal favorite horror movies have not aged well at all. But I don't think we can deny ourselves the enjoyment we receive from these films. You should get out there, watch that old campy movie, but keep an eye on how the filmmakers choose to represent their female and AFAB characters. You might be surprised at what you see. Directors today are continuing to create films that represent all of the diversities that women and AFAB folks have to offer. Robert Eggers' film The Witch, Ari Aster's Midsummer and Hereditary, Julia Ducorno's might have mispronounced that, but her film Raw, Gaspar Noe's Climax, and Jennifer Kent's The Babadook are all examples of films that include three-dimensional, fascinating feminine characters. Check them out if you're brave enough. One of my biggest inspirations for this podcast in particular was the wonderful YouTuber Nyx Fears. That's N-Y-X Fears. She is an amazing YouTuber. She does really interesting videos about horror movie per- horror movies, particularly disturbing and upsetting and creepy horror movies. And she has a lot of really interesting videos uh, about queer representation in horror movies as well. So definitely check her out. Again, that's NYX Fears on YouTube. Shout out. She is wonderful. Hey, it's me again, coming back to remind you that our submission deadline is still Friday, November 19th. I see you. I hear you, listener. You haven't sent in your art yet. Listen, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I just want to see your art so bad. Please, please go to the PRISM website. The submission tab is right there. It takes about 10 minutes. You fill out your artist statement. You give us your name. You give us your pronouns. Put your art in, and you have a chance of getting published in the next edition of Prism. I don't know what you're waiting for. I honestly don't know. Everybody here would love to see your art. Don't be shy. You can submit anonymously if you'd like, and then, you know, pressure's off. We would just love to see your art. We're trying to get as much art in as possible, as diverse as possible. And you know what? We're just going to keep bugging you until you submit that art. Friday, November 19th. Send it in. We'd love to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Page. If you're listening to us on iTunes, then make sure you subscribe to get updates when a new episode is released. And we always love to hear from you, so don't be shy and leave us a review. Give us a follow on our socials at OSU Prism, that's O-S-U-P-R-I-S-M, or check out our website, which is linked in the description. Big thanks to KBVR-FM for your support in getting this podcast out on the radio. And thank you to Orange Media Network for making this podcast possible. We'll see you next time when we journey beyond the page.